0: Today we continue in our series on Galatians, and that's a book in the New Testament. We are in a series we've called Equipped, and if you have a Bible near you, I would encourage you to turn to chapter 5, the orange Bible's in the rows there, is page 1094, and uh, it's a good thing to have those open and follow along because, you know, I'll go back after I read that passage and I'll say in this verse it's talking about this. And you may want to look at that verse and it won't be up there. It'll be in that Bible that you're holding open to Galatians chapter 5. So I encourage you to do that. You know, no pressure or anything, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, so far in this series, as we've looked at it, Paul's talked to the believers in Galatia, and we said that that was uh, several churches in that region uh, of what is now Turkey. And he's talked to them about following your calling, about how to handle conflict, how to be equipped for faith, and how to be equipped for freedom. And today, as we look at chapter 5, he's talking about how to be equipped by the Spirit. So let's read the first 12 verses here of chapter 5 of Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Okay. So he starts out this this chapter, which is really, remember, we've said that there really weren't chapters and verses back when he wrote this letter. It was all a continuation. So as we are in verse 1, it's a continuation of what uh, was in uh, chapter 4 there about freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Does that sound a little bit like he's using the word in the definition of the word a little bit. But he's saying, is it for freedom that Christ set us free? So what does that mean then, that it was for freedom that Jesus set us free? he free He set us free from having to, I'm going to maybe paraphrase what you said. I think you meant he set us free from having to do stuff to be uh, to have salvation. And then through, works, yeah. through works, right. Exactly, yeah. Any other thoughts about that? I mean, I think we yeah, he set us free so we can enjoy the new covenant, the new relationship we have with him. Yeah. And also, he set us free so we aren't bound by sin anymore, right? The freedom we have in Jesus Christ, not only do we not have to earn it, but we don't have to be bound by sin is what he's saying. Though, all that addiction, all of that trying in, in our own power, and uh, the devil's lies in his ways and attacks in our life. Then he says, stand firm. And pers- what that means is to persevere, to keep our standing. He's saying, stand firm and don't go back to that other way. Don't be in sin. Don't allow those Judaizers to cause you to sin by adding this other requirement to salvation. Now, the one he's talking about here is circumcision, but you can add in anything that you think other people are talking about. Like, you can't be saved just by Jesus Christ. You have to also do this other thing. Well, anything that would be in that category would not be right. Paul is saying, No, no, that's adding another requirement to what salvation is, and it's only Jesus. It's like that song we sang, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what it's talking about. That's the only way we're saved is by the blood of Jesus that was shed for us on that cross. His death, his resurrection. And so he says, uh, you know, mark my words, I'm telling you, don't let yourself be circumcised. So is he saying don't anybody get circumcised anymore? No, he's saying don't do it if that is the plus, Jesus, Jesus plus that for your salvation. He's saying that that is not what we want to do is be adding these other things. He said if you go along with that false teaching, you're having a burden of a yoke of slavery. He says that it's like you've been, you're under this yoke of slavery. And the yoke back then, what he's talking about, I I assume they do it still today, a yoke. If you see two oxen pulling something, you know, two, two somethings pulling in a yoke, it's a thing that goes around the neck of the animal and joins it to what it's pulling. And what he's saying here is there's a yoke of slavery that binds you to the slavery. If you are using Jesus plus anything for your salvation, you are still bound to sin. So why is it that Jesus plus something would keep us bound to sin? It's saying Jesus isn't isn't enough, for sure. If I'm trusting in Jesus plus myself, something I have to do, whatever works that is, if it's circumcision, whatever, then what I'm doing is I'm mixing grace and works, which actually the works then cancels out the grace because I'm trusting in the works for my salvation, not just Jesus. And works and grace are mutually exclusive. There's no combining them. And what this does is cause me to be bound to the burden of the law, he's saying. Trying to live it out in perfection. And then that's bound to the slavery of sin. He says in verse 2, it's like Christ is no value to you at all. Well, that's saying Jesus plus something I must do is necessary for salvation. And if I make it about an obligation of the law, it puts me back in that slavery of sin. So what Christ did for me isn't enough. It's of no value because I, by trying to earn it by doing something, I've said that's not what I need. I have to add other things. I can't trust God for salvation. And this mindset for salvation, he says then in verse 4, he says that'll actually cause you to be alienated from Christ. Okay, alienated from Christ, because you're saying that what Jesus did was not enough, and so it pulls you away from God's grace. It alienates you from what God wants for you. It's by faith we're saved, he says. That our hope, our confidence of righteousness doesn't come from trying to keep a checklist but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our confidence for righteousness isn't in ourselves, but in the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So if we want to live a righteous life, yes, the law is some good things for us to do, but if we want to live for Jesus Christ, we can't do that in our own power. It's the Holy Spirit living through us. He further says that circumcision doesn't add anything. It has no value, he says in uh, verse five. So if we're in Jesus, circumcision doesn't add anything because it doesn't tell us uh, anything more about how we're saved. It doesn't help us be saved more. In other words, if I've trusted in Jesus Christ, he is my Lord and Savior. Savior, I've surrendered my life to him. Nothing I do makes me more saved. Uh, So circumcision in its own doesn't have any value or any power over me for salvation. Um, Obviously not for me anyway, but um, anyhow, circumcision works don't give us any more uh, value to God. The only thing that counts, he says, is faith, working through love. Okay, then in verse 6, he says that you, or verse 7, he said, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? So who cut in on you? Running a good race. What he's talking about there is kind of like what he talked about in chapter 2. He talks about our lives like running a race. We have a starting point. We have an end point. And as we run, we want to run well. We want to do things well. And uh, it's how we're living our lives for Jesus Christ. And that finish line is when we enter eternity. Who cut in in you? Who's hindering you? Who put an obstacle in your way? In high school, I ran track and cross country. And during a race, if someone cuts in front of you, that's a problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, it stops you. You trip. You get off track. Uh, whatever it is, it's not a good thing. In a recent Olympics, uh, there was a runner, a woman named Sifan Hassan, who was in the final lap of her heat in the 1,500-meter race. When she was tripped by someone falling in front of her, you see right there, okay, that's a problem. Most times, people would just give up. But I'll tell you what happened here. She got up and ran as fast as she could. 11 of the world's fastest runners were between her and the finish line, and she ran as fast as she could, and unbelievably, she won that heat. So what that means is, if you count all the bodies there, this is her, all the bodies there, and one more. She was behind them and passed all of them even though she fell and won because she got up and ran like crazy and got to the end of the race and won her heat. That's like us. When someone tries to hinder us, we don't just like give up. We need to get up and run the race with what God has for us. He says if someone's hindering your race, uh, hindering you following Jesus Christ, don't listen to that don't pay attention to that those false teachers in that church don't listen to them uh it it says here that um you know they're gonna they're gonna be in trouble right Right. it tells us in verse eight or verse uh eight that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you that first persuasion comes from people giving false teaching And then in verse 10, he says, the one who's throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Now, what he's talking about there, I believe, is what's also in the book of Revelation. At the end of the book of Revelation, those last few verses, uh, God warns us about anyone adding to or taking away from the message of the scripture. He says they'll face judgment. So if someone is giving a false message to you, false teaching to you about the word of God, about what it means to follow, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, that's false teaching. And you want to not listen to that. And that person someday will answer to God for what they've been saying. These false voices were not coming from Jesus Christ, he says. "This is not God who told you all this junk. It's these other guys. And uh, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said there's no other way. And so we don't have to worry about Jesus plus. It's Jesus only. Then what he says in uh, verse 9, he says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Uh, he's saying that, um, you know, this is going to affect the whole deal, the whole lump of dough. I bake bread, and I use yeast in the dough, obviously, to make it rise. I make uh, yeast dough. I don't make uh, quick dough. I make yeast dough. And so that has to rise. And the amount of yeast that you use, any of you who break bread, do you use a ton of yeast? No. It's about like a tablespoon or so, right? It's a little amount. And then many cups of flour, four or five cups of flour. So this little bit of yeast eventually works through all of that flour and causes it to rise. And that is what he's talking about here uh, in this passage. Matthew 16:12. Jesus was talking to the disciples, and it tells us, Then they understood he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread. <clears throat> Smart guys. <laughs> but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's telling them, look, it's like yeast. It's this little thing, and it might not seem so bad, but if it's let go, it affects everything. If the church allows false teaching, just like this little bit of yeast in a lump of dough, it will affect the whole church eventually. And Paul is saying it's going to cause your church to fall away from the truth of the gospel. You need to address it. Don't accept that false teaching, that view of salvation. We need to believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we say in verse 11, he's talking some more about this, he says, you know, it... The offense, then, if, I've, if I'm preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. He's saying that the cross, it's been offensive to people because the Jewish people thought someone on a cross dying that way was cursed. And he's saying that offense of Jesus dying on the cross, it's abolished. In other words, it's done no good. If I'm preaching to you about circumcision, plus what Jesus did. It means that the cross didn't accomplish anything. And he's saying, if the salvation isn't through the cross alone, but through works, it removes this message of the cross. What was the purpose of Jesus dying for our sins if it's not enough for salvation? And then Paul says something a little bit strange. He's saying, why just stop it being circumcised? Just keep going. Go the whole way. Cut it all off. (laughs) Paul here is showing the absurdity of the false teaching of those Judaizers. Okay, so then what else? Let's read the next few verses, starting in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbors as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Gentleness and self control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And we will stop there. So, here in this next section of his letter uh, of this scripture is a contrast between freedom and sin. If the law is no longer a burden to live out, we live in freedom. Okay, if that's the case, there's no burden of the law, but we live in freedom. What is our freedom for? What do we have freedom to do? To love one another. To, one another. to serve the Lord and fulfill our calling. To serve the Lord and fulfill our calling. He also gives us, like we said before, freedom from a sinful nature. And Paul is saying here in verse 13, uh, he says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Uh, He's saying just because you're free doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want. Okay? Don't be sinful just because you can. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So the freedom we have isn't freedom to just go out and sin like crazy, do whatever you want and be horrible people, right? What he's saying is you have the freedom now not to sin. You have the freedom to follow God and do what he's asked you to do, not as a way to earn salvation, but as a way to live, as a way to live uh, lives that are righteous, our freedom isn't bound to the sin nature, but to serve Jesus Christ and walk by the Spirit. He's saying serve one another through love. And why he's saying this, that love is agape love. That's the love of God. And it can only be in us when we're really following Jesus Christ, when we've really surrendered our lives to him. And Paul's addressing the things in this letter that this church needs to hear. Um, apparently, there's some lack of love. He's talking about people... Um, Biting and devouring each other. So this deal about sin and the burden of sin and Jesus plus works and all of this stuff was causing some some problems there. And the people who were saying, yeah, but you also have to be circumcised, were thinking they were so much better than those poor pagans who had now started following Jesus Christ and they hadn't done it yet. They were thinking they were spiritually superior to them. So what he's saying is, no, that's not what we want here. We want our freedom to to leave that sinful nature behind and follow Jesus Christ and walk in the power of the Spirit isn't so that we can run around and act like we're superior to other people who haven't. It's so that we can be people of love, the love of God flowing through us to help other people understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Yes, we want to live holy lives, Yes, we want to do things that honor and glorify Christ. We want to follow this word. This is kind of like the manual he wrote for best life ever for us. Uh, It's not just a suggestion. There are commands in here that God wants us to follow, but not to earn our salvation, but as a way to honor and glorify him and to live our lives in a way that is the best for us too. Okay, so... um, Paul's been addressing those things. He's taking care of them here. He's saying, don't love one another as yourself, but don't gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh, what that means is sinful desires, giving into the things that, you know, are sinful. In the 70s and 80s, I think uh, there was this theme of, like, if it feels good, do it, meaning if you like to do it, just go ahead and do it. Um, which is really bad advice, by the way. Um, And it's also against what God would want us to do because the things that feel good, you don't go by your own emotions. That's not my indicator for my life of what I should be doing to honor and glorify God because some things that might feel really good are really bad for me, right? So what I want to do is the things that God says are the good things to do. Um, Even if it seems like there's something we would desire to do it because in our own mind we think that, well, that'd be okay, right? Well, if the Bible says don't do it, that means it's sin. And we don't want to gratify those desires of the flesh in us, the sinful desires, the sinful nature, as Paul calls it here. He says it's contrary, the sinful nature, if we're just living, doing all those sinful things, it's actually contrary to what the Holy Spirit would have for us. The, the Holy Spirit and sinful desires, again, mutually exclusive, okay? You cannot live following a sinful nature and also live following the Holy Spirit. Um, they're in conflict with one another, Paul tells us here. He says they're in conflict. Okay, so when you allow sin in your life to, it even... Say I decided tomorrow I'm just going to go out and do anything I feel like doing, and I do a bunch of sinful stuff. Am I living by the power of the Holy Spirit? No. 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 You cannot live by the power of the Holy Spirit if you're also doing sinful things. Uh, If you're led by the Spirit, Paul tells us in verse 18, though you're not under the law. means that the law is no longer our guardian, our tutor tutor remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at Galatians chapter 3 and it said the law was like our tutor so we were under the law shows us how much we need a savior until we become children of God and then um, at that point now we're not under the law as our tutor we are under the power of the Holy Spirit we are living our lives being led by the power of the Holy Spirit John 16, 7, and 8 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's saying it's to your advantage I go away. He's saying the helper's going to come. And then verse 8, when the helper has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. When we have that power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. In other words, when we're doing something that's not right, the Holy Spirit, you know, you get that nagging thought or that feeling in, this isn't right. I shouldn't be doing this. And then the other thing he does, it says it convicts of righteousness. Like when we're doing the right thing, we feel like, yeah, this is what God wants me to do. You, You can sense that. And of judgment, meaning if we do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ, if we do not follow him, if we aren't living Our lives in a way that glorifies God we're gonna reap judgment there are verses in the Bible and Pastor Steve will talk about this next week it's in in chapter six about this you reap what you sow and so we want to follow Jesus Christ and do the things that he has asked us to do in his word this is like the best operating manual ever it's God's word it's perfect it's holy God says that he honors his word like his name. Um, Deuteronomy 32, 46, and 47, God's speaking to them. He says, take, all the, uh, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of the law. Talking about when they gave them the law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So this Bible that we have is not just idle words. The whole Bible is not just a good read. It is life to us. The commands that are in here from God to us are for us to obey. Uh, God says that he magnifies his word with his name. In Psalm 138, 2, it says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name. For your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all, all your name. If you look back at the original Hebrew there, what he's saying is he honors and magnifies his word just as he honors and magnifies his name. This is something to be valued, to be honored, to live by. So even though we're not keeping a checklist anymore, we'd agree, we're not going to be keeping a checklist of what we do to earn our salvation, right? Okay, good. Our salvation now gives us the ability, though, to honor God by doing those things. Uh, these are the things that indicate our spiritual condition in verse 19 through 20, one where he talks about the, uh, the uh, sinful nature. He says if you act like this, the acts of the sinful nature, any of these, and it's not a total list, obviously, of every sin in the world, but he's saying if generally speaking, if you're doing any of this stuff, It indicates your heart, and if you do those things, he's saying if your heart's not right with God, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You won't receive the promise, so let's look at what this means. The Greek here for live, he said if you live like this, can also mean to practice, to be busy with. He's saying if you're practicing these things regularly, you're regularly living like this, you're regularly doing things on this list, There's a problem. You are living in the sinful nature. And to make it a little more understandable, uh, the J.B. Phillips version says, the activities of the lower nature instead of sinful nature are obvious. Here's a list. Sexual immorality, impurity of the mind, sensuality, worship of false gods, witchcraft, hatred, quarreling, jealousy, bad temper, Rivalry, factions, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. I solemnly assure you, as I did before, that those who indulge in such things will never inherit God's kingdom. Paul says these are examples of the sinful nature because the Bible calls these sin. Okay? These are not just suggestions of things, maybe not good things to do. He's saying these are sinful. And the reason God calls these out is because he doesn't want us to live like that because that is not good for us. Uh, It's not our own desires or determinations, like I said before, that determine what sin. It's God's word. And so Paul warns us, don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. If you're living like this, your heart's not right with God. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 5:17 and 18, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything's accomplished. So what Jesus is telling them is that, you know, none of this disappears. I came to fulfill it not to get rid of it. So all those. what he's saying is all the sacrifices that you've been offering, all of those holy days, all of that is pointing to me, to Jesus. He's the fulfillment of them all. And that word law, when you look at what it means in the original Hebrew, it can mean divine principles, commands. And so the scripture tells us the way that God meant for us to live, to live our best life. Following the commands wasn't done away with just because Jesus came. We now follow the Bible from a position of a changed heart with the power of the Holy Spirit living in and through us. Jesus is the perfect final sacrifice. You and I don't come on Sunday morning. You know there's no place up here where we're sacrificing bulls and goats anymore. Okay, We don't do that because we don't need to. Jesus, God said Jesus was the final perfect sacrifice, that when we trust in his sacrifice, when we believe in him, when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, then we have salvation. There's no need for further sacrifices. If we live our lives totally surrendered to Jesus Christ and we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, our lives should be different than those who haven't done this. We don't regularly practice sin. So what are our lives supposed to be like then? We've just said that not like this list. What are they supposed to be like? Fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit. What's that? Love. Oh, joy. joy. Peace. Peace. Patience. Gentleness. gentleness. Yeah. What do these things sound like? Oh, they, they're, desirable. They, they're desirable. They're desirable. Good qualities. Good qualities. Yeah. Do they sound a little bit like Jesus? Yeah. yeah. our lives are supposed to be like Jesus. So let's look at what all these things are, are who he is, too. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can live those out, too. And they're called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, like you said. It's interesting. I, as I was looking at this, I thought, it says the sinful nature has acts. Okay, that's behavior, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it says the Holy Spirit in us produces fruit. A righteous harvest in our lives. So different. One is acts, behavior. The other is fruit. It's it's something that God's producing in and through us. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so that's really good to know that apart from him, we can't do it. He doesn't expect us to do it. When we're connected to the vine, connected to Jesus Christ, then we have that power of God, the Holy Spirit, flowing through us, and we produce fruit. Uh, I can't produce fruit in my own effort, he's saying. You cannot do it on your own, which is really good news for me because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be able to keep it going very long. If I I could live a little bit like the list, I would not live at all, and I would have trouble keeping it going. But the power of God in me, I can live those things out. I can see God work in my life. He can lead me not to want to do the things on that acts list of sinful nature, right? He can lead me to not even want to be there, but instead to want to be living in love, in peace, and patience, and kindness, all of those things, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Our relationship with God, with other believers, and with ourselves is all... Uh, covered in that list. Against such things, he says, against such things, there is no law. He's talking about the things on that list of the fruit of the Spirit. And when you look at that original language there, it says by way of such things, means to bring to completion. He's saying the law can't produce this fruit in you, only the Holy Spirit can If you belong to Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have crucified, he tells us in verse 24, you've crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Crucified, destroyed that. You have fixed or nailed that sinful nature to the cross. A few weeks ago when we were singing, it is well with my soul, you know the third verse of that song says, talks about our old nature being nailed to the cross. It doesn't have to call the shots anymore. Let me read it to you. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. We don't have to carry that sinful nature around with us anymore. It's nailed to the cross. The blood of Jesus washes us clean, like Jacques was talking about during worship. We now have the power of the Holy Spirit within us to help us walk that out, that the fruit of the Spirit can be in our lives. And then he says in verse 25, Since we're now being led by the Holy Spirit, let's keep in step with the Holy Spirit. He's saying let's walk by the Holy Spirit. Let's live our lives being led by the Holy Spirit. So how can we summarize what he said in this this chapter to us today? How can we keep in step with the Holy Spirit? The first thing is to surrender your whole life to Jesus Christ. Trust him and him only and don't hold back. Give it all to Jesus Christ. Because any area that you're holding on to, like if you said, God, I'll do all of this, but this right here, I'm going to hang on to this. I want to still do this. Even though you don't like it, I like it enough for both of us. So what that is saying is that you have not surrendered all your life to Jesus Christ. And if you want to see yourself living in victory, living free of all that junk of the past, living free of the sinful nature, you need to trust God with everything you are give all of your heart to jesus christ make him lord of your life and then the second thing about how to walk and keep in step with the holy spirit is to put to the cross like we said put to the cross all of the sinful nature anything that's not honoring god anything that god's word tells us is is not right that old sinful nature we want to submit that to the blood of the cross of jesus christ See how close you can get to Jesus Christ, not how much you can get away with and still be a follower of Christ. We have freedom from that sinful nature. It's nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. This is such great news for us. And then the third thing we want to do to keep in step with the Spirit is to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So each day, what you want to do is ask Jesus to refill you with that power of the Holy Spirit surrender your life to him each day say God I want to do what you called me to do today I surrender all my own desires and wants to you Lord God show me today how to honor and glorify you everything you encounter all you do then will honor and glorify him ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's righteous and what's sinful and to help you live in a way that honors and glorifies God sometimes when we're at work There's things that come up, and our first inclination is to say stuff that's not really honoring God. So we ask the Holy Spirit, please help me today to do everything in a way that glorifies you. When we talk to family or or people or when we're driving, we might not be doing stuff that's honoring and glorifying God. Ask God each day at the start of each day, Lord, fill me up with your power. Holy Spirit, give me the ability to see the things I should do and not do today. Surrender your whole life to Jesus Christ and put to the cross all the sinful nature and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me as we close? So I just ask everyone, just bow your heads. Uh, A quick question here. How many of you would say today, I want to be closer to Jesus Christ? Thank you. Are you willing then? put to the cross all the acts of the sinful nature. If you need to repent of regularly practicing any of the things on that list of the sinful nature and committing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, if you're wanting to make that commitment today and repent of anything that's been holding you back, just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we just thank you for this encouraging word. Lord God, that the Holy Spirit living in us makes us more like Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that all of that junk of the enemy would be uh, nailed to the cross, that you would help us not to carry that around, that burden of the sinful nature. Lord, I pray that that would be uh, crucified with Christ and we would, you would live through us. Lord God, I pray that you would give us the freedom as we follow you, that, because we're not bound by that anymore. But Lord, not freedom to do whatever we want, freedom to honor and glorify you. Lord, we don't want any of that junk in our lives. Lord, just Holy Spirit, just whenever there's things that come up during the day that we're just not doing a good job uh, of honoring you, Lord God. Holy Spirit, just convict us. Show us the better way. Lord, help us to live in a way that not just glorifies you, but it's the best thing you have for us too. We just thank you, Father, that Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again, that we don't have to earn it we don't have to do anything of ourselves except to receive what you've given us. Holy Spirit, fill us up from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Give us the power we need. Saturate us with the power of God to be able to live lives that honor and glorify you, to be able to live lives that are, we're making good choices. Lord God, we thank you for that. And we thank you for all you have for us. Father, I pray that you, the fruit of the Holy Spirit would be things that people would say about us oh, they're so loving. They're so kind. They're so gentle. They've got so much self-control. Oh, man, Uh, Lord God, we want to be just like you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for all you're going to do in our hearts and lives this week. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen.